Wine Monk, Arizona Wine Podcast by Cody Vladimir Burkett. Good evening, everybody. This is the Arizona Wine Monk. I'm here with my friend Lacey Ritter, who works at an undisclosed local vineyard. Or you can, or can I say? Sure. She works with Merkin. Um, also with the college and all the various other Merkin uh, vineyards uh, owned by Maynard. Our focus tonight is one of my favorite Spanish, excuse me, Spanish varietals, uh, Albarino, which also happens to be one of Lacey's favorites. She actually was the one who suggested we do this podcast, when was it, like almost four months ago? It was a little while ago, yeah. So we were... a long time coming. <laughs> so I've been hoarding bottles of Albarino quietly. We have three. Two of them are thanks to my membership that I had for a while uh, with Club W, now Wine Inc. So we have one from Arizona, from Chateau Tumbleweed. Um, of course, Joe Bouchard is the winemaker there. The other two, I don't really know who the winemakers were. One is a classic Spanish Albarino. The Yi Yi, Vino uh, de España, does not give a DOCG region of it, huh. unfortunately. But um, since it is Spanish, I'm going to assume Galicia, like most of the classic Albarinos from there. And I also have the Field something. Hold on. This bottle is so clear, it's hard to see. The Field Theory 2015 Albarino from Andres Island Vineyard in Lodi, California. Now, the cool thing about actually all of these, which I didn't realize until today when I was pulling them out of the stream for my promo video, is that these are actually all 2015. Oh. Well, um, cool. As far as I'm aware, they're all going to be also all stainless steel. Well, Oh, well, the, the Shots of Humbleweed one did get a little bit of neutral French oak. Okay. Um, but they should all be very similar style. But uh, before we begin, Lacey, would you do the honors of reading <laughs> the entry for Albarino in the big, giant, red, friendly wine book? I will do my best. I'm not going to be able to do it like that. I mean, we can. <clears throat> I can chant it later if we must, but... <laughs> Did you mark it out ahead of time? I did yeah. not, because oh, okay. I didn't get that far today. I apologize. I mean, I didn't get all the stuff done today, but eh, you know what I mean. I know what you mean. All right. I'm making enough in it now. Oh, I know why. Because it's under the Portuguese name, A-L-H... A-L-H? Alvarinho, I think is the... So, also, Alvarinho is the main oh, grape Alvarinho? in... Alvarinho? Yep. Okay. So, it's also <clears throat> the main grape in Vino Verde, and so it has a Portuguese spelling, too. Okay. So, that's already something that we learned. <clears throat> Alvarinho. Fashionable, high-quality, fresh, aromatic variety straddling the Spanish-Portuguese border. <clears throat> Very light and berry color. Um, uh, origins and parentage. The variety originates from both, uh, from northeastern Portugal or over the border in Galicia, 
in northwest Spain, where it was once exclusively cultivated as Alvarino and Abarino, respectively. In Portugal, Alvarino shows great mor morphological diversity, which usually indicates that the variety is quite old, and in Spain it is considered to be among the oldest varieties of the northwest. Even though the variety was not mentioned in Galicia until 1843, a parcel of 40, 200 to 300 year old Alvarino vines have been observed there. Uh, DNA parentage analysts, analysts, um, analysis, sorry, has suggested that Amaral, sorry if I'm butchering all these names, <clears throat> uh, and Alvarino gave birth to Caino Blanco, all three traditionally grown in the northwestern Iberian Peninsula, which explains why Alvarino and Caino Blanco were often confused. DNA profiling has established that Alvarino, Alvarino is not identical to Alvarino Blanco, also known as Blanco Lex Lexitimo, and is not a color mutation of uh, Alfra Chiro, traditionally called Alvarin Negro in the Asturias in Spain. Hmm. In Spain, both Albarino and Albarin Blanco have been long mistaken for Sevin Blanc due to labeling and identification error in the collection of the Mission Biological de Galicia, but this has, um, but this can be rejected <clears throat> by the D DNA analysis. Uh, how much sev Savian, how do you pronounce this? S-A-V-A-G-N-I-N. Savanin, I think. Savanin. Blanc is still grown in the Spanish vineyards under the names Albarin Blanco and Albarino. It is not yet known. Comparison of DNA profiles indicates a possible close relationship with Lorayero. Must be another grape. Um, so, and I'm also kind of curious. <clears throat> um, so, viticulture characteristics. Moderately vigorous, robust, and fertile. Mid-budding, early to mid-ripening. Small bunches of medium-sized, relatively thick-skinned berries. Susceptible to downy and powdery mildews. Hmm. And especially to mites. Best suited to dry soils. And what I had noticed about the Albarino compared to our, you know, other various uh, varietals is that, yeah, the Albarino has these very small bunches, and when we were trying to thin out a bunch of other secondary and, like, other bunches would form, and they would just hang all over the vine, like, these tiny little mini clusters everywhere. It was kind of interesting. I hadn't really seen that with any other any other vines that where was where 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 is Mina growing Albarino? Uh we have Albarino over at our um south location. Hmm. It's over in Cornville. I had no idea. I thought um I had thought that Dragoon was the only Albarino location. No. I am wrong. Right I learned something. It's not I think this I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure this past season was its first real harvest. Um, it, it's been kind of coming a long way to be able to get an actual, like, quantitative harvest from it, as far as I understand. It's been difficult to work with, or...? 
just just being able to have enough to to harvest and actually do anything with it. So, um, but it did it did well last year. How many tons? Oh God, I can't remember off the top of my head. Hmm. It wasn't. It wasn't much. A ton, yeah. So less than a ton. Yeah. So. My guess is then it's probably going to be a velvet slippers thing, or blended into something. I believe it's going to be blended with something. <clears throat> Vermentino would be an interesting blend with Alberino, I think. Uh, the Vermentino, um, he was blending it with something else, um, but of course I'm totally blanking out, like on the trying to think of everything on the spot. Um, Hey, seriously, did I just lose my second corkscrew? Um. <laughs> oh, God. It's going to be one of those nights. Oh, it's right here. Sorry, I put the book right on top oh, of it. Oh, no worries. I mean, we should probably start with the Spanish one anyway, since it is the motherland. And lucky for us, it's... We could have gone without the screw top just this once for a little bit. Because, um... Or rather, sorry, that sentence was words switched. Um, <laughs> and I'm not even drinking yet. Uh-oh. Um, this is a screw top, or a, sorry, Stelvin enclosure. Is a what? Stelvin enclosure apparently Stelvin? is the fancy technical name for a <laughs> Say that screw, uh, screw top <laughs> bottle. Where did you put your glass? I have it right here. Awesome. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not exactly sure where in Spain this came from, but I'm guessing probably somewhere in Galicia. Um, my first encounter was with Spanish Albarino. Um, sp drinking, actually, Spanish Albarino in the summer, or late spring, early summer in Boston. Mm. Um, where it's hot and humid, but there's also lots of good seafood to be had. So occasionally I would get seafood and sneak it to my dorm room and have a bottle of Albarino. Why'd you have to sneak it? Well, I didn't really have to sneak it, but it just sounds cooler if I sound like I was a renegade. Okay. <laughs> so you're sneaking your seafood in. Although everyone assumed that I was some sort of raging alcoholic, um, which I guess I... Huh. It's not... All that far from the truth? I wouldn't exactly call myself raging. Or... I wouldn't say you're a raging wine monk. Yeah. Ooh, that'd be a great name for a band. <laughs> raging wine monk. It was around the same time I started dating um, uh, the the one good person I like to joke that that is in Boston, and um, she was a marine biologist. Was studying to be a marine biologist. So I kind of always associated with this grape with her. And for a while I was really, really hung up on her. Uh, after we broke up because we basically ended up going completely different ways following dream careers. Because, you know, she wanted to do marine biology and I wanted to do Arizona wine. And there was no way in hell of making that work. 
Uh, but in the end, she kind of realized, no, I don't want to do that. Um, I'm, I'm still in Arizona wine. and um, So are you still, so are, is this wine kind of, no pun intended, but like leaves a bad taste in your mouth? No, or, not at all. Uh, oh, okay. she, there, there's a reason why she's my favorite of all of my exes. and okay. The only one who doesn't have a horrible name and doesn't belong really in the Legion of Horrible Women. <laughs> Legion of Horrible Women. Uh, a name coined by my last ex, who is the captain of the League of Horrible Women. <laughs> captain. Well, you know, every group needs a captain, right? I think they do. It's bright and aromatic. Huge citrus notes. Mm -hmm. So, we know this grape is being planted in two places in Arizona now. Um, Verde Valley and... My brain just... And you said somewhere down south? I know Dragoon Vineyard has Dragoon, it, but, I want, okay. but I've also seen it in some of uh, Bostock's blends. A small percentage. So maybe he either has it in Cimarron or uh, Pronghorn. It must be one of the two. Maybe. Uh, I would say probably Prong... Um, not Pronghorn. Um, because it wasn't the Mescaoli. And that was mostly Cimarron fruit. So I'm guessing... Bostock has it also in Cimarron. Okay. Um, it's a grape I would like to see more of. It's a grape that I've been fond of for a couple of years. and uh, When I was still very much hung up on Rachel, my thought was like, Albarino is, you know, if, if, if this is her grape, then, you know, the expression of how it would be would be like, if she had come out here and abandoned all hope in marine biology and And it's good, but it's it's different from what I remember on the nose, like the Chateau Tumbui. But now, now I have a, a very happy, fun, awesome girl that I'm quite deeply fond of. Are you dating? Well, yeah. Well, well oh, yeah. You, I've never caught you up on all this stuff. Mm -mm. <laughs> she, uh, the last podcast I posted, which will probably be two podcasts from when this is up. Uh, because there was one I recorded in the interim, or not in the interim, but um, way back when, after Gary and I saw Rogue One, oh, and drank the little Frankie, also from Chateau Tumbling. So there will be two Chateau Tumbling wines in a row, which will be very strange. And uh, I love Chateau Tumbling, but it is not a mark of favoritism. It is pure irony that there are going to be two podcasts in a row with them. Just stating for the record. Um. You know, it was kind of like either that or, well, I asked my boss if we could use the, the Wine Club exclusive Albarino at Passion, and he's like, yeah, I, I'm willing to let you take home any other bottle for a podcast, but not the Wine Club exclusives, because <laughs> they're so limited. I mean, we only did like 24 cases of it, so. Right. So I'm like, yeah, okay, that's fair. So, and Chateau Tumbley did a really good Albarino too. So anyway, um, fuck, where the hell was I? I don't know. I don't even remember. Oh, Bess. Um, so, actually, her and I met back when I was in Boston at Seminary 2, and she came out and visited in January. Huh. Um, she came to the AWGA Gala. She hasn't been to Jerome yet. Huh. Um, I haven't brought her up here to the center of my kingdom, uh, so to speak, mostly because the last trip I wanted to see... I wanted her to see and experience the worst part of Arizona ever. 
You brought her to Phoenix? Yes. The thought was that if she could deal with me in Phoenix traffic, i.e. at my worst, and also still liked Phoenix, then, you know, everywhere else is going to be up. <laughs> That's an interesting way to look at it, but I, I see, you know, I kind of agree to that, or agree with that to an extent. But uh, she came, she liked it, we had a good time, and I'm going to be visiting her and her folks in uh, Rhode Island. Which is the only part of New England I actually really liked. <laughs> I was going to say, Rhode Island's beautiful. And there's some good vineyards there from what I remember. The, mm-hmm. There was one back when I was in the Northeast and I spent a summer living in Newport. And I visited that vineyard once. And I remember, this was before I was like super duper wine geeky. I was just like, I like wine, whatever. And I remember thinking like, oh, this is the first wine I've had that's actually from the... Northeast that's drinkable. Hmm. And it wasn't amazing, but it was cromulent. Right. Um, so I'm looking forward to visiting there and grabbing a couple bottles for the next uh, varietal party. I, I may bring a bottle or two with me back to see if I can trade. Slash, you know, be like, hey, here's a Savoie Blanc from DA. Uh, what are you doing tonight? You want to record a podcast side by side, compare the two? And they'll be like, who are you? (laughs) (laughs) Who are you and why are you here? Um, So that way we have the same flavor notes and we're we're not um, corrupted by glass shape. I have uh, two fairly standard glasses, courtesy of the Arizona Wine Growers Association. Uh, Their big festival. Um, I got this at the last big... Um, AWGA festival. No, where did I get these? Oh, this was the one in Flagstaff. And we had a bunch of extra tickets, and they're like, and so I gave them all of my extra tickets for glasses, and they're like, yeah, sure. So I took five of them home. So they work as very standard wine monk glasses for if I don't have mm-hmm. a glass from that winery. Yeah, so nice. anyway, what are you getting on the nose? So. <clears throat> I'm not really good with white wines, um, and I always feel like with whites, I always pick up like pear notes. I would that's what I would say with this one. I feel like I pick up pear. Definitely, I, I agree with you on pear more than apple. Um, I get pear and. Uh, Strong citrus, like mm-hmm. fresh lemons, and maybe a white flower of some kind, mm-hmm. or maybe a orange bit blossom. Floral, florally, uh, florally, citrusy, and fruity. So, fun fact um, about Albarino uh, is that uh, the vineyard on Earth that's closest to the sea uh, in Galicia, Spain. And it's literally like 12 feet from the ocean or some ridiculously like small number, 12 meters probably, um, is Albarino. Oh, interesting. Um, and there's also some guy apparently that's aging his Albarino bottles underwater. That's even more interesting because the book just said that it likes dry soil. But you gotta, it's true, but 
just because the sea is right there doesn't mean that the soil is going to be wet. Because, you know, prevailing wind conditions and everything. Well, it'd be interesting to see what that landscape is. So, like, if... I mean, maybe the... the I mean, it could be... The distance is, like, the ocean's below it or something. That could be it, too. I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen a, a picture and of this vineyard. Like, you know, you know like, level. beach! Right. You know, it could be, like, here's, like, a 12-foot drop. Mm -hmm. Or here's, like, a giant cliff! Right. <laughs> but, uh... Okay. I've gotten in a lot of Alvarinos in the past that are from Galicia, like, that sea salt scent. I'm not really getting it off of this one. I mean, there's nothing that really screams ocean no. on this wine. Oh, that's nice. very nice. It's a little bit fuller bodied than I expected. Mm -hmm. um, and there's also nice acidity too. Nice acidity. Still carries that sort of pear, florally, clean, crisp mouthfeel too. This is a little bit different than the Spanish Albarinos I'm used to because, well, again, I'm more used to that little bit of sea salt, which is not here. And uh, if someone just poured this for you and you didn't see the bottle, though, would would you like this as an Albarino or? I might have trouble figuring out what it was offhand um, in a blind tasting because my first thought with this one, if I didn't know it was an Albarino, would probably be um, I would probably assume that this was an Italian white. Oh, okay. I, I might assume this was Verdicchio or something rather than Albarino. Uh, and then have someone like go, ha ha, you're wrong, you're an asshole. <laughs> uh, and then pounds me and like, ha ha, you don't know shit. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. Hey, there, there are some classic Albarino features to it, but I'm not sure that my mind would instantly go, ha, Albarino. Right. I thought about picking up a uh, Vino Verde for this while I was in Prescott today, but I I wanted to get home and get a nap and finish cooking rice. So how is 
um, Alvarino in the vineyard uh, compared to a lot of other grapes that you work with? In, in what respect? Just <clears throat> how it grows and care and management and dealing with it in the vineyard versus, you know, is it a little <coughs> bit cantankerous and hard to work with? Is it vigorous? Is it kind of lackadaisical and lazy? No, it's pretty vigorous. And that's what I was saying earlier is like, um, what I remember most about it was that <clears throat> its clusters were very unique. And so we grow, we grew the canopy up and, um, when the clusters started growing, um, we thinned it, we thinned it out. And then, I mean, I don't know, I, I don't remember how much time went by, but it, it felt like really recently we had to go back and make a few more passes to thin it out again because it just kept wanting to put out these little bunches of clusters everywhere and it even like up high up on the canes oh wow yeah so i mean they were just everywhere so so for those who don't know these terms um um while i go get some more cheese um why don't you explain what canopy and cane and sort of the the lingo of uh of the vineyard farmer versus the wine drinker uh, in terms of growing i didn't know i was going to be teaching tonight well (laughs) so um when you are looking at a a classically trained vine and you it kind of looks like a flat or I guess it looks like a capital T maybe you have your trunk and then you have your two cordons that make it the top of your T and then from your top of your T you grow out your you spur train your cordons and What is a cordon? Say that again? What is a cordon? Your cordon are your arms coming out from your trunk. So, which is trained on a wire, and then um, you'll eventually start um, getting spurs growing on your cordons, which you prune every year um, because you grow your canes each year, and then you prune them back. They grow... You prune them back. They grow. Um, <clears throat> so prune the, the two buds, right? What's that? You prune the two buds normally, right? Um, yes. I mean, that's probably the good way to go. I mean, it's two buds. And then, uh, so yeah, you grow your canes, and then you, you know, you want to go through, and then... Uh, I think we did one cluster. Um, we did a lot of one clusters in many of our um, different varietals last year. <coughs> um, and that's and that's why we had to like go through a lot and and go back to the Alberino and and thin these clusters out because it just. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, I was like, I felt like I was reading. I'm short, but, you know, I'm reaching up high, like, almost, almost to the top of the canopy, it felt like, and it was a very vigorous, um, very vigor, vigorous growth, it, very vigorous, like, putting out clusters, and, um, 
It was a pretty interesting grape to work with compared to the other ones. Like you were saying, some are kind of like lackadaisical and some are maybe more finicky and this was just like, blah! How did it go again? Blah! <laughs> so. so the rationale for doing one cluster per shoot, is that to kind of concentrate the flavor and everything in that particular cluster of grapes? or? Um, the idea, yeah. You know, you... Um, so you got your cane, and the idea is if you have one cluster on that cane, then you're, you're really, um, focusing all that energy and photosynthesis into, you know, a very select amount of, you're, it's basically quality control, you know, and not just trying to grow a quantity here growing quality fruit, um, you know, in the mix of doing appropriate leaf pulling and getting good sunlight and watering your vines and things like that too, but, um, if you get a good canopy and then just have your one cluster, um, yeah, you're, you're not, you're not overworking what, um, the vine can can do energy wise so if that makes sense it does actually it, it does a lot and I hate to bring back horrible memories of the past but uh, I mean th this sort of thing would definitely prevent you know some sort of like um, and uh, my brain just glitched over the word hold on I know this word Overcropping, um, like uh, yeah. has historically happened at uh, Fort Bowie of blessed slash cursed memory, depending <laughs> on who you ask. Right. Um, yeah. There's a, well, and, you know, there's a lot of different uh, winemakers that are trying to require vineyards to overcrop because they, you know, want and need the fruit, but... I think there's there's definitely got to be a balance of quantity and quality for sure. If you owned a personal vineyard for yourself, where where would you draw that balance? Out of morbid curiosity. Um, if I had a vineyard, um, if I had a vineyard, honestly, that you know, that's something that I would like to do at some point if. I, you know, I, that ends up happening for me. I'd like to be able to work with a winemaker, and I guess it would have to be some sort of agreement, you know, between the winemaker and what, you know, these plants are doing. But if it was my decision completely, then, you know, I, I would try to pay attention to what the vines are doing like right from the get-go like for whatever reason if you get <clears throat> the thing is like if you get Arizona we get really stupid late spring frosts and so it'll be warm 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 <clears throat> and then we get that freak one day like sometimes we've, we've gotten snow up here in, in Jerome in May I remember that so you know, and and that's all it takes. It takes like a 
just a few hours, if that, for it to just be that cold enough. And that's it. So if you're trying to grow like baby, baby vines and they get hurt from a frost, you really need to pay attention to, okay, these vines got hurt or they, you know, were stunted for whatever reason and need to not push them then you know what they're capable of so if they got stunted then you need to you know, let them do their thing and kind of come back and heal them that kind of thing before you're asking them to produce before they're ready but <clears throat> So if that's what answers you. In a perfect world, you know, that's what I would do. But Would you say frost is the biggest challenge right now, by and large? I mean, we're entering that sort of weird, awkward season. Yeah. I saw um, Jeff Hendricks had posted the other day, like, one of the Sorrel mines at DA was starting to actually sap. Oh, yeah, we got vine sapping. Like, and that's kind of the scary thing. It's like, you know, when the vines are sapping like that, they're telling you, like, they're, they're getting ready to do their thing. And, um... And as ironic as it would seem to be, frost and cold is probably one of our bigger issues. Um, especially, like, we hit butt break, we start having green show up, and then it's like the, the timer is set and we have to get through our last little bit of frost season. <clears throat> um, so that it's definitely a huge issue. For sure. Um, another random question. Um, so frost is coming, let's say hypothetically, and but first of all, when do you think bud break is going to happen this year? If you had to pick a date, um, if you're going to gamble and put money down. Oh, for like anything to like the very first. Yeah, thing? like what's going to be the first? What's going to be well? What this is kind of a question in two parts. One is purely hypothetical for betting reasons the other is actual kind of legitimate question well they're both legitimate questions anyway sorry tangent um what's typically the first thing that uh, undergoes bud break um so last year one of our first ones uh, was our chardonnay here in the verde or buell mm -hmm. and um and actually that was what, thank you, that, um, we actually, it didn't, it didn't destroy our vines, um, but we did get a cold night, and, uh, the Chardonnay was, um, it, it was a little bit, I don't want to say damaged, but it, it, definitely got a little bit hurt <clears throat> from the frost so um and then what happens with that is <clears throat> you're for the rest of the season with the chardonnay like our fruit was a little bit um uneven because some stuff didn't get frosted so it wasn't stunted um and then like 
the growth and everything like that. So maybe some stuff is struggling because it kind of got cold and it's like, and then other stuff's like, yeah. So some stuff's growing just fine and some stuff was, is kind of stunted and struggling. It's not going to grow as much of a canopy and then that affects <clears throat> your buds and things like that. And then when you get your clusters, it's going to be, um, kind of across the board is going to create uneven ripening and things like that. So, and then when you're trying to, uh, coordinate when to harvest, you got some fruit that's at certain bricks versus some other fruit that's at different bricks. And you kind of have to find that balance between it all. Now, Corey was telling me when I was bugging him at the Provisioner release party, it's like, what is the future of Provisioner when, when, when Bowie is gone? Uh, and he was commented for 2016 anyway, because of the big frost in 2015 at uh, Benita Springs, that apparently some vineyards like or some vines will like do a extra bountiful year the following year mm -hmm. after they've done a stunt from frost. Have you found this to be the case as well, or that, does it vary from vine to vine, or? As far as what? Um, is a vine that's been damaged by frost one year uh, more productive the following year? Oh, that's an interesting thought. Or has anyone really bothered <laughs> to, like, do research on this and take notes? Something specific like that? Um, I, you know, it, hmm, are you, I guess the, the question is, are you talking about like a, a, an established vine or like something that's small and growing? Established vines, most certainly, because, <laughs> well, not most certainly, but, well, let's assume established vines for this question. Um, if it was an established vine, I don't, I don't. I don't know if anyone's looked into that specifically. That that'd be an interesting thing to watch. Huh? <clears throat> I don't know. So we're now on the Field Theory 2015 Albarino from Andres Island Vineyard in Lodi, California. So I'm trying to find information on Andres Island Vineyard. And what I've got so far here is... Um, Apparently, it's cool, ideally sited, which no explanation of to why it's ideally sited, uh, which kind of pisses me off. <laughs> Maybe for sunlight? Could be. I, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't say. But it doesn't say. Uh -huh. But apparently, it was uh, Wine Enthusiast 2015 Wine Region of the Year. Um, so, it, it definitely doesn't have that... <clears throat> Sweet citrus, or um, it smells sweeter. It doesn't have that citrusy. Yeah, not at all super citrusy. This one is more apple than pear, less citrus, just like like a little bit of citrus zest. Yeah. Not like, hey, there's a lemon sitting on the counter next to me. Right. Um, I feel like the floral notes are definitely more pronounced, but maybe that's because they're not hidden by citrus. 
They're definitely more apparent. <clears throat> and it's definitely multiple flowers. Like, I want to say definitely orange blossom again, but maybe gardenia. Oh, this definitely is sweeter. There's residual sugar in this. Holy hell. <laughs> That's way sweeter. There's like, it tastes like there's no acidity, really. Yeah. It's a little bit of the very finish. Like just before it goes away off your palate. I was going to say the opposite almost. Like at the end, it almost is like... Like, kind of leaves a film on the tongue almost. Apparently it's famous for its Albarino. I'm finding multiple um, vintages of Albarino coming from that vineyard. Average rating for this wine on Vivino is 3.5. Love how one of the comments is simply decent Albarino without any commentary as to why. <laughs> it's like, really guys? Come on. Hmm. It definitely tastes a lot sweeter. Um, big yeah. on apple. Like a, like a red apple. You know, red apples nobody eats. Mm -hmm. There's like no acidity, acidity to those. Yeah, this is just like biting into a solid apple. There's a little bit of uh, a nuttiness following the apple. And then there's that flavor that you were talking about, that sort of tongue-coating thing. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's just so slight, but I I totally pick up on it because I I hate. That it reminds thing. me of Have you ever eaten an unripe persimmon? Mm -mm. Don't. <laughs> okay. Uh, the reason being is that your whole tongue and mouth gets coated with that flavor. Oh. Um, well, you have to find the perfect ripe persimmon, and then it's apparently, well, not apparently, it is beautiful. Um. Gary and Lisa brought some back from South Carolina one time, and they're like, don't eat that one because that one's not ripe. You should eat this one, and I was an idiot. And You ate the unripe one? I tried to eat the unripe one, and I was like, oh, God, what is this? <laughs> and then they're like... <sighs> Lisa facepalmed and then just said, here, just try the actual perfect one, and I was like, oh, okay. I can see why people eat these now. <laughs> now I get it. Now I get it. Now this is completely different from the Spanish one. Mm -hmm. And I really feel like this one, I, I really wonder if this one has residual sugar. Um, so this one, <clears throat> going back to the Spanish one, you had said, you know, you weren't picking up on the salt seawatery type thing and that with a blind tasting that you may not even really recognize that it was at Albarino. What about this one? 
This one I would have been like, what the hell is this? This is less Albarino-like than the previous Albarino, I feel. Okay, so this is definitely a fucked up... Oh, can you swear on here? You can fucking do whatever you want to. Oh, okay. Um, so is this like a fucked up Albarino? I wouldn't say it's necessarily fucked up. I'd have to taste it because maybe we got an unlucky bottle or... Oh. I mean, it's not bad. It's not corked or anything. It's just no. not what I expected. Okay. Um... And the bottle is actually really, really cool. And I really am thinking about actually like using this as like a... The bottle is cool. It almost looks like a like a whiskey bottle. A whiskey bottle or like one of those classic like potion bottles in like Skyrim or something. <laughs> it's like, it I feel interesting. Like, I feel like this should be like... Okay, here we go. Uh, so, handpicked over the course of three nights. Whole cluster pressed. I wonder if that's... Something that affected the flavor, uh, rather than crushing and distemming. What's the um, alcohol? Thirteen point two. Okay. Uh, fermented in stainless steel for three weeks. Hmm. Yes, I, you know. This makes me think more of a Sauvignon Blanc than an Albarino. Yep. I would say. I see. I can see that, yeah. <clears throat> I'm also wondering why they call it Andres Island Vineyard, because it doesn't look like an island at all on the map from what I can see. Is it like a peninsula or something? No, I mean, it looks like it's right in the center of California. Oh. I mean, it could be, it looks like it might be beside a lake. Maybe an island on the lake? Maybe. Andres Island. No. Come on, Google. Don't be a dick. Why is Andres Island called an... an... island? Of course, maybe there's something that's known to Californians that's not known to Oh, okay. Oh, so it is an actual island. Okay. Wikipedia tells me Andrus Island is an island in the Sacramento San Joaquin River Delta in Sacramento County, California, 20 kilometers northeast of Ant. 
Antioch, this 3,000 hectare, 7,400 7, acre island is found on the north and northwest by the Sacramento River. On the west, the Georgiana Slow. On the southeast, the Molucume River and the San Joaquin River. On the southwest, Jackson Slow and Seven Mile Slow. That is entirely within the bounds of the immense Rio Vista gas field, although well drilling pads and associated infrastructure make up only a small part of its land use, which is mainly agriculture. The city of Islington is on Andrus Island. See also list of islands in California. Okay, so it is an actual island. I can't imagine trying to do that unless their winery or whatever is on the island as well. Could be. Climate. Oh, that tells me nothing other than it has a warm summer Mediterranean climate. Something for like actual like temperature listings. So, okay. But again, Lodi is central California, isn't it? Like in inland? I believe so. Yeah, it's Central Valley, California. Okay. Yeah, south of Sacramento. Okay, there we go. Now for the only one that has a foil we need to cut through. What's a grape varietal you'd really like to see grown in Arizona? <laughs> um, I was really curious about maybe growing some more Malbec. You should talk to the Asmundsons down at Deep Sky. About that, but as far as I'm aware, no one's growing Malbec in the Verde. Mm -hmm. um, I think someone tried to grow Malbec in Sonoida. Um, and I think Dragoon and Deep Sky and maybe Sonoida Vineyards are the only ones with Malbec right now growing. Oh, that's more than I knew about it. I knew there was one, I think it was. Deep Sky. Yeah, Deep Sky is famous because they're also growing, you know, they, Deep Sky is awesome. I'm really hoping to do a podcast with them eventually. Um, because, 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 the wonderful things they do. Uh, they also have a vineyard in Argentina. And so what I really want to do is compare the Argentinian Malbec under their Deep Sky label mm -hmm. to their Arizona Malbec under the Deep Sky label. And I think that would be fun to drink the two side by side and compare I want to go there. That'd be cool to go check out vineyards there for sure. It's on my potential if things get really, really bad in America list. Right. To skedaddle. 
Well, I did just get my passport. Like, just after Christmas a month ago, or right around December, and just recently got my passport. So, I am good to go. Yay! Last but not least is the Chateau Tumbuid Albarino, also 25, 2025. 2015. Thank you, Lacey, for telling me, reminding me what year I'm in, or what year this wine yeah, was you're, made. You're not in 25. That was right. a long time ago. Or it's yet to come. That's the question. Will we survive until 2025? So anyway, I just want to say again, I really, really love how Chateau Tumbuy puts all of the geeky information you could ever fucking want to know on the back of their label, because it makes it so easy to kind of figure things out. So I'm going to just read you the back of the label, the reverse mullet, party in the front, business in the back. Mm -hmm. So this Albarino is 100% Albarino, was harvested on August 13th. From Dragoon Mountain Vineyard in Cochise County, which is at 4,300 feet in elevation. It's harvested at 22.9 bricks. The grapes are cold-soaked for 24 hours, then whole cluster pressed. It was chilled and then settled 48 hours prior to racking. And the addition of specifically selected yeasts. Fermented in stainless steel at 55 degrees Fahrenheit for 20 days. Partial malactic fermentation allowed, so that'll be interesting. Aged three months in stainless steel, then racked on neutral, two, sorry, two neutral French oak, and aged an additional three months. Swine saw only minimal cold stabilization, did not undergo heat stabilization, and is filtered but unfine. Residual sugar is less than 0.10%. So tartaric acid is 6.4 grams per liter, pH is 3.51. 30 cases produced, and of course, the winemaker, Joe Bouchard. This smells a little more like the Spanish one, mm -hmm. for sure. But also with the... It's still it's different, though, but it definitely smells a little more... Like, you can pick up a little more acidity, maybe? Yeah, definitely on, uh, more acidity on the nose. Um, I'm also getting apricot along with pear. Yeah, I was going to say it's not so much pear. Pear is definitely there. Haha, <laughs> that rhymes. But yeah, maybe apricot or some other kind of... And it smells a little bit fuller body, and I'm wondering also if that's the malactic, partial malactic fermentation there. Smells, I can definitely tell that this one's from Wilcox, though. Why is that? I, I'm also getting this very strong dusty note that wasn't there in the other two, which just makes me think of the dust on the roads. Hmm. Have you been to Wilcox? I've been to Wilcox. Have you been driving around in the on the bench at all, though? On the dirt roads? Yeah. Yep. To me, that the smell of the dust 
that, that you know, it's usually invariably kicking your car by the time you pull into any of the tasting rooms when you slam the door and the dust billows out in the air. It has this distinct smell, and mm-hmm. I get that in a lot of Wilcox wines, and I'm getting it in this one. But I'm, I'm just hypersensitive to that. I remember leaving... <clears throat> it was sort of like a... I don't know what the term would be, like something like close to like culture shock or something, because I remember leaving... I would leave for Bowie for the day and I'd be driving in my truck heading home and in my rearview mirror I thought I was like seeing this like huge thing of smoke and I was like oh my god there's like this huge freaking fire and I would like pull over and stop to like see and then it finally dawned on me that it was a huge dust devil that was just tearing through the fields and then i just got used to seeing them like they were like little mini tornadoes everywhere i mean it's so windy and it's so dusty down there i mean and these these dust storms just blow through and actually one time i when i was working in the field a dust devil came right at me i saw it coming and just you know they're kind of unpredictable in a way and you're limited to a row to run down in two directions basically quickly and so I just I grabbed my dog and just kind of like huddled down with her and like kind of pulled my hat down and just you know and it was just like craziness for like 15 seconds or whatever but it was the, the dust storms were definitely something to see, like, down there, for sure. Do you miss anything in particular about working down there versus up here? Um, there's sort of a... Uh, how do you put it? It's just sort of cool. Like, you're just out in it down there. There's, you know, you're really immersed in, you know, just the land out there. There really isn't much development. And, um, you know, being out in Portal, like, you're just living in this tiny canyon. And, um... You know, it was really, Portal is one of the top 10 um, birding areas in the United States, I believe. Mm -hmm. Something like that. And I guess um, uh, a lot of birds come up from Mexico during our summer to escape the heat from down there. Something of that sort. Something like that. And, um, but anyway, it, whatever time of year, um, it is. And so I was able to really kind of see like a, you know, the landscape's kind of similar, but it's pretty different. And, you know, there's kind of more of that lifestyle of like ranchers and people have horses. And so 
you know, the landscape is different. There's kind of, you know, people say, like, with Jerome, like, you know, Jerome, you know, things happen on Jerome time and stuff like that. But, like, down there, it's really, like, just kind of easygoing in a way and different type of lifestyle. And you have to, you have to, you know go on big bulk shopping trips up to either Wilcox and or to Tucson and truck, you know, almost like a month's worth of food back to your place and, you know, depending on how far out you are. We were, you know, out in Portal, so of course it's like, you know, stock up kind of thing. Yeah. But there's something really beautiful about just sort of being out there and being under, like, you know, there's no light pollution, and it's mm-hmm. absolutely silent other than the weird random birds that are outside and the weird creepy owls that are, like, making noises and things. And there's, <clears throat> you know, probably all kinds of different coyote and bears. And uh, there's, um, uh, what are those... Um, uh, they look like large raccoon cats. Oh, the ringtails. Um, I've never seen one of those in real life, actually. Uh, how are they called? Yeah, the ringtails. No, cool. there's like a... Oh, the other ones are Quadimundis. Qu- Quadimundi, yeah. So there's Quadimundis, and then and, there's uh, ringtails. And... So there's... They're down there, and, you know, if you're just kind of sitting out at night, like, you might kind of, like, see one kind of run by kind of thing or um so you know it's kind of tough as far as like if you need something like it's a ways away you know Wilcox really doesn't have much no. either so it's got a Burger King and an Ace and like a Safe tiny way. yeah grocery store one grocery store and couple gas stations and that's about it so like if you really need something like you can't be someone that you got to be able to be content with to just kind of make do for a while and and enjoy you know that sort of lifestyle and so there's something really um enjoyable about that and just kind of you know i would go walking around and just kind of explore. There's different trees and, you know, just, you know, I've seen different flowers that I've never seen before and, like I was saying, different exotic birds that I've never seen before in my life. And so all that kind of stuff was really cool. But um, you definitely, you know, it's a different lifestyle for sure, so... Yet to set foot on Calibri. I need to one of these days. You should. It's a that whole area back there is really cool. I, I went there a couple times with my dad back when I was super into birding. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was young, like twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Oh wow! This is um, definitely much more acidic. Than all of them, I think. Yeah, it's definitely more acidic than the Spanish one. Yeah. 
I don't know if you went there uh, when you were talking about when you went there a while ago, but there's one little, like, uh, <clears throat> like a, it's not a hotel, you know, they have like these little, like, little cabin, mini cabins, basically the size of like a large bedroom kind of thing. So, like, this size. Yeah, this size. And, um... By this, I mean my size of my apartment, for, for the record. And, um... They have a small... <clears throat> and very small convenience store. I mean, very minimal in what they carry. So but more like an inconvenience store. Yeah. Sorry. They literally have, like, maybe... A half gallon of milk or cream and a small thing of orange juice and like six egg carton type thing if they even carry that and like I mean just very minimal in what they carry but um, but they also are like a diner and they have like some lunch items and stuff like that and you can eat there and of all places in the world they make these fraps Huh. And these, I, um, and they're kind of expensive, you know, but they were seriously probably the best freaking fraps I'd ever had in my life. Of all places in the world, this random place you can stay in freaking Portal, Arizona, this tiny little place so birders can come from around the world and be able to stay in portal and and do their birding thing and this place makes like bomb ass fraps wow that makes sense a lot of the birders i know do live off of caffeine and booze (laughs) mostly beer some wine so i mean maybe it'd be worth it to drive all the way there to try it um, it'd be heck of a drive, but if you ever find yourself down there, definitely. Stop I'm in. planning on making a visit to Calibri at some point. I might just be like, you know, harass Corey and be like, "Hey, give me like two weeks' heads up notice when your next pruning trip to Calibri is, and I'll go and help prune and mm-hmm. just be in Calibri." Or you know, if I win like fifty bajillion dollars, like buy land next to it and grow a vineyard there myself. Did you buy a Powerball ticket? Not this week. Mm. Last week I did. I got two numbers. All right. That's <laughs> heading in the right direction. <laughs> if, I, if I had gotten the third number, I would have won seven bucks. Ninety-nine problems and about half of those could be solved with sufficient amounts of money. <laughs> so I feel there's like a subtle um, green apple, just ever so. Like I'm not saying that it's like super tart or anything like that, but there is that good acidity that it makes me think of. If you were to eat like a small slice of like a Granny Smith apple, yeah, I totally picked that pick up on that. I'm getting green apple, definitely also a lemon. Mm-hmm. Meyer lemon, so it's a little bit of a sweeter lemon. 
Um, Jasmine also on the palette. I'm not detecting really anything on the palette that just screams like, this underwent partial malolactic fermentation. But maybe I'm just not that skilled yet. Right. I will say that uh, I definitely like this better than California, but I'm not sure if I like this one or the Spanish one better. I was going to say, I wish I could like sip the <clears throat> Well, gee golly, it's not like I have 5,477 <laughs> wine glasses lurking around my apartment. <laughs> Gosh, where am I going to find another wine glass? I don't know. <laughs> well, half of those I won't even be able to reach. That's true. You, you are tiny. <laughs> Here's your you. Spanish. The Spanish one for the record is the yee-yee. And I wonder what that means, if anything. Looking at the color? Yeah, I'm just trying to... God, the light in here is shitty for that. They look about the same. Yeah, they do. The Spanish one may be a little bit lighter. Which is weird because in the bottle they look... It looks like the uh, Chateau Tumbleweed is darker. It has more of like an ambery a slight amber color to it rather than that yellow green uh, yeah. translucent. Now I'm wondering if the green wine in a can that's going to be released from Garage East next month is 100% Albarino because that would be cool. I'm pissed that that release is going on at the same time that I'm visiting my girlfriend back east but mm. I've got a couple of people that promise have promised to So hunt. I also I I didn't mention it earlier, but you can, uh, now that I got these side by side, so oh, yeah, visibly, is. so visibly, and, uh, when I taste the Spanish Almarino, there is a very slight effervescence, effervescence. Man, I wonder what that band has been up to. Evanescence? I know, I've just... <laughs> I mean, they had like that just that one album and that was it wasn't it and then they kind of just went off and everyone mocks that one song they had their time that time was when we were or when i was anyway and yeah. late high school and in a vaguely gothy phase yeah. so of course i liked them wake me up inside Is that Evanescence? Mm-hmm. Okay. The other, yes, one I was... the other one I remember from that day is... Because um... the guy from uh, Seether joined in on that song with her. Was it... Or from some other freaking band. I don't know. Yeah, I remember that vaguely. There was a dude that, like, did a version... Uh, like. Evanescence did that, or maybe he he guessed it on the original. I don't remember. But the other classic gothy emo band I remember is Papa Roach. 
Cut my life into pieces. Oh, God. <laughs> I freaking bought that album, too. <laughs> was... God, was that even high school? Or... Well, for me, it was high school. For you, you're a couple of years older than I am, I think. Like, a year or two. <clears throat> I can't remember, but yeah. Because I'm 32. I'm 33. I want to say you're, like, a year older than me. Um, did you, did you ever hear of the band Lacuna Coil? No. Lacuna Coil is a, you know, I'm not even going to say, I don't remember what country they're from, but they're, whatever country they're from, they, they're like the, I was going to say like, they're like the Evanescence, but they're much better. They're not. As an emo, or they're just kind of the that kind of goth rock, um, but I actually saw them twice live. They had come to New Hampshire, and and played, um, which is funny. They came to uh, Manchester to play, and I thought that was really badass that I could see Lacuna Coil for free. Ah. <laughs> I still can't decide which of these two is my favorite, but they definitely both beat out the low die. More concentrated flavor, more acidity, more interesting. Um, you know, uh, I like them both. I would probably have to say I kind of like the sort of the little tiny bubbles that the Spanish one has for whatever reason. Well, it makes it feel more refreshing, I think. <clears throat> yeah. Whether that was on purpose or, or not. Um... Probably, because that's kind of how Vino Verde is. is, is it has more effervescence than that. Um, because, my God, I could suck down... And I really like that pear. To me, like, I'm, that pear... Um, but the Chateau Tumbleweed is, is good in its own right as well. Like, I... It's got enough acidity to it, whereas the Lodi one, like, that was just... Almost flabby. It, it was very flabby. It was kind of very, like... Eh. Okay, that was a let down. <laughs> it's like, wait, really cool bottle, but really lame wine. Yeah. Again, more proof that Lodi sucks. <laughs> Well, this was cool, though. I'm glad I was able to try a few Albarinos and kind of... Yeah, I'm, you'll have to keep me posted if you if you learn what the um, Albarino from uh, Merkin South, you said? Mm-hmm. From Merkin South goes into... I will, yeah. Because that'll be interesting to try a Verde Albarino uh, like it was to do the Lely Vermentino. Mm-hmm. versus Wilcox, and I really think that Vermentino does well in both places. But I liked the, the harsher acidity of the Verde Valley. And this is one way that I, I distinguish Verde wines from Wilcox or Sonoida is um, the Verde wines tend to be super acidic compared to the others. 
but I think that's just because the, the limestone soil here just lends itself to that. Uh, Wilcox, there's dusty. Sonoida, I always get tangerine off anything. Yeah. The Verde Valley. Oh, excuse me. The defining character of the Verde Valley is definitely that acidity. Hmm. That was yummy. Did you want to take anything home? Because uh, I can't drink. Well, I mean, I could drink all of this, but... If you want to take something home, go ahead. Um... If I were to take anything, I would take that Spanish one, but I feel like... Well, let me pour myself a little bit more of the Spanish one, and you can go ahead and grab it. And I will keep the tumbleweed, and I will cook with the Lodi. I mean, I, I am actually thinking of doing some fake chicken. Um, oh. So, um, Lent is starting tomorrow. Well, technically it's already started liturgically uh, for the Orthodox uh, at the time of this recording. Once it's posted, it'll probably be about two weeks in, um, or three weeks. But, uh, traditionally in the Orthodox Church during Lent, you... Um, you, it's not just like, oh, I'm going to choose one thing. To, no, God forbid it'd be that simple. Um, in the Orthodox Church, you generally give up meat, dairy. Traditionally, you also give up olive oil and wine. Wine, I can't give up because, obviously, it's my job. Mm -hmm. Working with wine is what I do. Um, so I actually have a special dispensation for that. Um, with the... So that way I don't have to fast from wine ostensibly, because you're supposed to ask your bishop before you do anything like that, da-da-da-da-da. Anyway, um, invariably, most years I don't really follow the fast as well as I should, but I'm actually going to really try this year. So, actually, stop my stock my fridge with vegan food and Morningstar and veggie burgers and fake chicken protein and mushroom pro protein and all that fun mm -hmm. stuff and... And rice and beans and I mean you can see all of the beans in my kitchen there because yeah. I'm going to do some chili some vegan chilies this year and that sort of thing uh, so the idea is to kind of follow that dietary restriction as best as I can which is which will probably be good because I eat probably too much meat anyway and too much dairy anyway and I could stand to lose a few pounds so if I eat less and eat more simply and, and walk around town just a little bit more, I should be okay. I can start dropping a few more pounds quickly. Um, but hence the, the fake chicken that I would be cooking and it would go well with this rice, depending on the seasoning. Mm -hmm. And that one would be perfect because it's not super acidic and the acidity... I don't like super acidity in my cooking wines just because... Right. I feel like it just doesn't belong, but um, it's going to work great as a cooking wine. Thank you, Lodi. <laughs> Hashtag thanks, Lodi. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, gang, we're, we're going to finish up our glasses of Albarino. And there goes my computer mouse. And uh, until next time, guys... Uh, this has been Cody, a special guest Lacey, 
And, Thank you uh, for having me. You're welcome. Uh, well, this was definitely your idea, and I am definitely down for more future podcasts like this in, in the long time, in the long run. I also don't get to, you know, we, we also haven't really had any growers and, and vineyard worker people. That made it sound like it was some sort of slur. As someone who loves actually working in the vineyard and doesn't get to do it nearly enough. Because um, so often we've been with wine drinkers and wine makers. Um, it's nice to get the point of view from someone who's actually kind of on the more of the farming aspect. Um, it's a voice that we don't really hear from on this podcast nearly enough. And I'm trying to rectify that. Except for Gary. But Gary does everything. And most of what Gary does is flip me off and snarky commentary. So that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> love you Gary I was just going to say but we still love you Gary <laughs> uh, but until next time guys uh, this is the Arizona Wine Monk signing off unless you want to say anything to close us off uh, drink Albarino wise words Spanish Albarino and Arizona but not Lodi <laughs> but not Lodi <laughs> thanks Lodi Ha, 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 ha.